Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. We've had an opportunity to hear our memory verse a few times already, um, and we'll read it again later. But as I was uh, reading on this, this this week and looking at some commentaries and things like that, I um, came across one commentary that said that this is, that our, our verse falls in the middle of uh, what he called the most significant theological passage in the entire New Testament. So we're going to take the next 25 minutes and we'll solve it, right? Uh no, well, we're not gonna, uh, there, there's so, this, this passage here is so rich, um, and, and there's so much that can be said. There, there are literally thousands of volumes written on these words that we're gonna, so we're not gonna obviously hit every angle that we could possibly do this morning, but hopefully, uh, the things that we talk about this morning are gonna, give you some, raise some questions for you. Hopefully they're going to give you some things to mull over and think over as you memorize this verse, which you've really already done because we sang that song and now it's locked in your head uh, forever. Uh, most of you, if you're like me, if you're like Carissa, if you grew up in the church, uh, you probably memorized this verse when you were like five or six and, and it's a pretty easy one. We, we teach it. Um, Sam has memorized it. He's learned it in Sparks as well. And so what I'm, what I actually, I, I'm going to give you some extra credit this week, those of you that are doing the memorization. And if you already have this memorized, already had this memorized, I want to encourage you to actually memorize the, if, if you have a modern translation, you'll see that this actually falls in, right in the middle of a sentence. So I encourage you to actually uh, memorize the whole sentence this week, which begins at the end of verse 22 and then goes all the way through verse 24. So if you feel like I already got 23 memorized, uh, bonus points. We're not giving away points, but, uh, mental bonus points for you if you memorize, uh, the whole, the whole passage there. So we'll dive into that in just a second, but, uh, we've been talking for a while. Uh, we've, we're six weeks into our, our memorization and we've been, there's, I don't know if you've noticed, there's been some themes. Obviously, the, if you got your cards, they have themes of, of what the attributes we're learning. So we've been learning the memorization, uh, attributes of God. And this week we're studying, starting a, a five week set on salvation. But there's also been some themes, some common themes. I don't know if the people who picked these out, these verses out, did this intentionally or if it just happened to, to do this. But I'll show you, we've been seeing specifically the theme of glory, of God's glory. It showed up several times. So I think, uh, yeah, there we go. Oh, that's a weird font. Uh, not the one I started with, but that's all right. Uh, they're calling to one another. Actually, here, let's do this. Who's got Isaiah 6-3 memorized? I see a hand in the back. You want to share it with us? No? Okay, that's fine. I won't make you do it. Um, Isaiah 6-3, they're calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then uh, we also saw in another verse, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The whole earth is full of his unfailing love. And remember, Pastor Jim pointed out to us a few weeks ago, he, he compared these two verses and noticed that the whole, here in Isaiah, we're told that the whole earth is full of God's glory. And here in Psalm 33, we're told that the, 
that the whole earth is full of God's unfailing love. And Pastor Jim raised the question for us and didn't really necessarily lead us towards any answers, but invited us to contemplate what does it mean both that the earth is full of God's glory and the earth is full of God's unfailing love. And as I've been thinking about this and wondering about that, I wonder is there some kind of connection to part of what is God's glory is his unfailing love. So that as his unfailing love spreads out through, throughout the whole earth, so his glory spreads throughout the whole earth. That they're, that they're not two separate things, but they're actually partially connected. And then, uh, not to us, O Lord, Psalm 115.1, we also memorize this one. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. So the glory is to God because of his love. So, so the earth is full of God's glory. The earth is full of God's unfailing love. And then his, his love and faithfulness is what gives him also the glory. So these, I, I hope you're seeing these, these connections and, and, uh, I just invite you to contemplate and, and wonder about these things. There's some other ideas, some other verses that I came across too. Let's look at this one. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. So we have this idea that the whole earth is full of God's glory, but now even the heavens are declaring the glory of God. The skies are proclaiming the work of his hands. That somehow when we see, when we, when we gaze upon, when we see the heavens, the skies, we are somehow experiencing, somehow re- those things are reflecting and proclaiming God's glory to us. And I want to invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 8. I want to take a look at one more of these. As we begin, uh, one, of the, one of the key themes of our verse today, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, wants to reflect on what does this mean? What is, what is the glory of God? And, and what does it mean to have fallen short of this? So Psalm chapter 8, we're just going to read the whole thing here. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. So there's our word again. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So Psalm 8 begins... uh, Similar to what we have seen, what we saw in Psalm chapter 19. The heavens proclaim the glory of the Lord, and you have set your glory in the heavens. And points us towards, again, this reflection on God's glory being reflected through all that he has made. But then it takes a little bit of a twist right there in the middle. Did you notice that? Verse 5, you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. This is humanity he's talking about. So not only does all of creation that we that we witness declare God's glory, but 
here, we're being told that, that human beings have also been created to reflect God's glory. And, and in fact, the language here is you have crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. So that the glory of God that we, that we bear witness to in creation says the psalmist is saying that, that humanity has also been given that glory, but, but even to a greater extent. That humanity was given this responsibility to, to rule over the things that are reflecting God's glory. That we are, we are the, the high points. And we see this actually in the book of Genesis. We talked about this a little bit last week, but let's just go back to Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, God is creating and he makes, uh, as we talked about last week, he creates on the first day, second day, third day. And, and after each day, we're told that God saw what he, has made, what he had made, and it was good. And then in verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, he says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. And so we see here in these, in these early chapters of Genesis, we see here in the Psalms that God not only created, created all things and, and uh, infused them with his glory to reflect his glory, but, but specifically we as humans have a special role, a special part to play in reflecting God's glory. A higher part to play than the rest of creation has been given. And what's fascinating about this is that we somehow are meant in the same way that, that creation, the heavens proclaim the glory of the Lord, that creation is reflecting God's glory back to us. We, as humanity, seem to be intended to reflect God's glory to the rest of creation. And this place of, of rulership that, that we're given is meant, uh, to, to be created in this God's image. Uh, you think about a, a statue that's created in the image of whoever is you know, of the statue. We're supposed to see that, and it's some kind of representation of who that person is meant to be, so that when we gaze upon that statue, we have a sense of who that person was. How many of you have been downtown to Safeco Field and seen the statue of Ken Griffey Jr. sitting out front? Right? He's got that, he's got that smooth swing that he's following through. He's left-handed, so I'm not, well, I can't do it anyway. But, uh, you see that statue and you say, ah, oh, this, this guy must have been a great baseball player, right? You have a sense, even if you don't know anything about baseball, you think, well, there's a statue of him. There's some kind of greatness there. And that we as humanity are meant to reflect God's image to the rest of creation. But we see, as if you're still in Genesis, that the story doesn't uh, doesn't stay that way for very long. In Genesis chapter three, we have what's called the fall, and we won't read this whole passage. But God has given instructions to the to the man and the woman for what they are and are not supposed to do. Um, they eat of the fruit that they're not supposed to eat of, and then they hide. So we have. Uh, let's start in verse seven. The eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your path, your pains in childbearing very severe. Your painful labor, you will, with painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it, food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So we have this this scenario in which uh, God has given instructions to the man and the woman, specifically of how they're supposed to be reflecting God's glory, and part of that is their obedience, and they disobey. And notice what the results that we just read in are because of that. Uh, there's consequences. There's First of all, the very first thing we see is there's blaming. We looked at, um, last week, we, we looked at this passage, these passages that talk about the Lord um, and his compassion and his love. And the, and the idea we looked in these, that God's glory is reflected through his love that goes out through all the earth. And the first thing that we see is the man and the woman are hiding and they're blaming, and, there's, and they're divided. They're no longer reflecting God's glory to one another. But then we also see this consequence that the serpent is cursed. The man, the woman receives a curse. The man receives a curse. But the whole earth then also receives a curse. We're told that thorns and thistles are now going to be growing up. Thorns and thistles are going to be a part of God's creation. And so in, in the same way uh, that, that when sin enters the world, it affects humanity, it also actually reflect, uh, impacts all of creation, all of creation that was meant to reflect God's glory. That which was meant to reflect God's glory no longer does. They've fallen short. Not only of experiencing God's glory, because they're separated now from God, but also they fall short of their purpose, the thing that they were designed to do, the way in which they were intended to reflect God's glory is no longer true. And so the story continues through through Genesis. Uh, eventually, there, there's a man named Abraham. This is a big part of what Paul is going to be talking about in Romans. That if we were doing a study on Romans, we would we would have time to talk in depth more about. But he calls this man Abraham. He says, "This man Abraham is faithful, and I choose him 
to be the person now through his family that humanity will once again reflect my glory to creation, reflect my glory to the world. And he says, you, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And eventually through you and your descendants, all of humanity will be blessed. And the story continues. Abraham has a son, Isaac, who has a son, Jacob, who later has his name changed to Israel, who has 12 sons, who become the 12 tribes of Israel, who have more and more children, who eventually become the nation of Israel. And God calls this nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and he brings them to Mount Sinai, and he, and he declares... He gives them a law. And it's fascinating, again, just to think about it. If you turn to Exodus chapter 24. So God is, has met the people of Israel out in the wilderness. And again, we're going we're gonna to see our word. In Exodus chapter 24, uh, Moses goes up on the mountain, verse 15. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai for six days. The cloud covered the mountain. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on up the mountain. And he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So here God comes and he says he is revealing his glory. And to the people of Israel... It seems like a consuming fire, which I can't even begin to imagine what that must have looked like for the people of Israel to see this entire mountain appearing to be consumed by fire. It's this terrifying sight. The people tremble at this sight. Uh, a, few, a few chapters later, if you're still in Exodus, Exodus chapter 33, we have God giving this law, this instruction to the, to the people. And there's this consequence that the people are still disobeying and God is giving this law. And so in Exodus chapter 33, uh, verse 18, Moses, who has already entered into this cloud of God's glory, says to, says to God, verse 18 says, Now show me your glory. Which raises all kinds of questions about what is it that you haven't already seen, Moses, this consuming fire. But he says, show me your glory. And in verse... This, the conversation between Moses and God continues until chapter 34. We're told this in verse 5. The Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, with Moses, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord. Uh, we talked a couple weeks ago. This is God's name, Yahweh, Yahweh. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. So here Moses says, God, show me your glory. And the Israelites have seen this cloud, this consuming fire that has come down. And God says, Moses, I'm going to show you my glory. You can't see my face, but I'll show you my glory. And as he passes by, he proclaims his name. The Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is his identity. This, again, we, we looked at the whole earth is full of God's glory. The whole earth is full of God's love and faithfulness. All of these pieces come together. This 
is this God's, this God's love, his faithfulness, his compassion is all wrapped in in what it means to, for his glory. And then we come to Romans chapter 3, as we've already talked about today. And we're told, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And one of the things that the people of Israel were meant to do was to be the people to reflect that glory. And one of the things that Paul is telling us here in Romans is that even the Israelites have fallen short of the glory of God. These people who God had chosen to be the ones to bear witness to his glory to the world, that he showed his glory to, they also have fallen short. And so if your, if your Bible, if your translation says in verse 22, at the end of 22, I asked you to memorize, there is no difference. Or a Bible might even say there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Your translator is, is giving some interpretation there for you because that's what Paul is talking about. There's no difference from the Jews who are meant to reflect God's glory, who are given the law, given these instructions, and the Gentiles who didn't have it. There's no difference between the two. Both have fallen short. All have fallen short of reflecting God's glory in the way that they were meant to. All of us have fallen short. And I don't know about you, but it's not hard for me to know that this is true about myself. Right? We think about what is God's glory, uh, his, his love and his compassion. Even if we just talk about that aspect of God's glory. I know that this is not true for me, that, that I reflect God's love and his compassion in the way that I'm meant to on a regular basis. I know that I am selfish and prideful and greedy. I know that I have anger and bitterness that I hold with me, that I carry with me, that I express towards other people. All have sinned. Yeah, of course. This isn't necessarily something that we, when we frame and we understand God's glory for what it is, we don't need someone to tell us that, yeah, we don't do that well. That we fail to reflect God's glory to the world. That we miss out on what it is. We've fallen short. We miss the mark. That all of us have sinned. That we all have the capacity to commit evil. Not just in our hearts, but in our world. I was thinking about this, this, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. I don't remember what brought this. But all of us like to think that if we had been born uh, in Germany in the early part of last century and been alive in the 1940s in Germany, that we certainly would not have participated with the Nazis, right? All of us think, yeah, sure, I would have been the one. Odds are we wouldn't have been, right? Odds are we would have also been participating in the evil that was going on during World War II. Odds are if we had been alive in Rwanda in the early 90s, we would have been participating in genocide. Like, we have that capacity within us. And the only thing that prevents us from participating in that kind of evil 
is our circumstances. Where we are, the, the kind of society that we live in, we know that we have that ability to harm others. But it doesn't even have to be that great uh, murder, uh, slaughter. Like We know the anger that we hold towards one another in our hearts. We know the greed, the selfishness. The, we know the way that we look out for ourselves first. That we think about what it is that we need. This week, uh, a great evangelist uh, passed away, Billy Graham. Uh, I think it's fitting that we are talking about this verse uh, this week when we reflect on uh, the work that he did to proclaim the gospel to so many people. And uh, those of you that are on uh, the social medias may have come across several articles talking about Billy Graham. And if you're like me, you came across articles talking about the great work that he did, and you also probably came across articles of people saying, here's what I didn't like about Billy Graham. Here's the ways that he has fallen short. I remember waking up and I and I and I checked my phone and I was looking at at the news and I was reading that and I started reading in the comments. First of all, never read the comments. That's like advice for all of life. Don't read the comments. Uh, nothing good is happening there. But I was reading the comments anyway, and and you get all kinds of like negative feedback about people saying like, well, here's you know here's where he. Here's what he could have done here. Here's what he could have done here. Here's the things that, here's the harm that he did in in my life. Here's the harm that his his message did for my family. And then you have all these people saying, here's all the good that he did. And people are arguing, like, here's, and, and Billy Graham would have been the first person to admit that he was a sinner. And that he failed in some ways. There's, there's some truth to the, to the people who are critiquing part of his ministry because he wasn't perfect. Right? And the, the reality of this verse is that even a man considered to be America's pastor, the pastor to the presidents, he failed in a lot of ways. And he wasn't perfect. And this is exactly what Paul is telling us. Even Even the saints, even the people that we put on the pedestals, all have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. That doesn't mean we don't also do lots of good in the world. But we also do harm. We fail to reflect God's glory in the way that we were intended to do so. And a lot of times we... Maybe you're reading the comments about Billy Graham and you get you get anger, like how could you say that right now? Like uh, a lot of times, that's how we feel about ourselves too, right? When somebody calls us out on our sin, like I'm trying here, right? Like I'm doing my best. We want to avoid thinking about the ways that we have fallen short. Like, sure, intellectually, we'll say, like, yeah, of course, I'm a sinner too. But we don't want to actually reflect on the harm that we have done to others. We don't want to spend time thinking about the sin 
in our lives and the way that it still impacts other people. I think this is especially true for Christians because we have an understanding of the salvation that we have in Christ. Maybe it's not especially true for Christians. I don't know. But because we know of the work that Christ has done in us, we say, well, it's just forgiven, right? You've seen those bumper stickers, like Christians are just like everyone else. We're sinners like everyone else, but we're just forgiven. It's like, some that that's true, but it also can sometimes be an excuse to say, yeah, I do whatever I want because I'm already forgiven. Paul addresses this later in Romans. He says, by no means. And so we're invited in this, in this passage to, to understand that there is no difference. There is no difference between Billy Graham and you and I. There's no difference between the people who are, uh, want to have nothing to do with God and you and I. We're all sinners. None of us deserve this. Between Jew and Greek, you and I, all of us have fallen short. All of us fail to reflect God's glory. I want to invite you to turn to one more passage, Matthew chapter 9. This passage actually shows up in in both Mark and Luke, but I I love that this is in Matthew because this is a story about Matthew. Most people think that the Matthew that we're going to read about here is also the same Matthew who wrote this gospel. And, And he puts it right at the end of a couple healing miracles that Jesus does. And I I think that's significant for Matthew and significant for us to think about. So in in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. And here is the good news for us. The reason Jesus came is for the sinners, like you and me. And that if you're righteous, or if you think that you're righteous, apparently Jesus isn't for you. But the good news is that all have sinned. And Jesus has come for all of us. And I love that Matthew puts this story in his gospel right in the midst of all these stories of Jesus' healings. Because I think there's some recognition for Matthew that this is the way in which he was healed. Jesus comes to him and he says, follow me. And the good news that that Paul uh, presents us in Romans chapter 3 says, yes, there is no difference because all have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace 
through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It's not just that we, in verse 23, we kind of get this negative like, oh, we're all sinners. But it's right in the middle of a sentence. It's right in the middle of a thing where Paul is saying, yes, all have sinned and all are justified freely by God's grace. This, too, is available for all of us. Billy Graham used to say, all it takes is you have to say yes to God. And Romans 3, 23, 24, saying that God has already said yes to you. We're going to take a look over the next several weeks of of what exactly that looks like and, and how God accomplished that through Christ. But for this morning, what we need to own, what we need to recognize, what we need to bear witness to is the fact that yes, I sin. Yeah, we're all sinners. We all fail to reflect God's glory. And it's not a but. Do you notice that? It's and all are justified freely by his grace through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Christ did not come for the righteous. He came for you and me, for the sinners. He invites us to own our sin so that he can forgive it. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we know for sure that we are sinners. We experience that on a, on a daily basis, whether we want to admit it, whether we choose to pay attention to it or not. We know that this is true. We know that we fail to reflect your glory to our world. And yet we see here such an amazing message of what your glory actually is. Your glory of your love and your compassion that even despite our sin, you have made a way for our redemption through Christ Jesus. So we praise you. We thank you for your goodness. We, uh, We ask that if there's anybody here who has not yet said yes to your free grace, that they will do that this morning. Pray this in your name. Amen. Please stand with us for our final song. Um, In light of what we've learned today, I believe this is a great song to kind of remind us what we as Christians are called to do um, for the rest of the world, essentially. Uh, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace that is revealed in Christ Jesus. We have this song, the, uh, the second verse we sang there, a song that shall conquer all evil. This message of grace is meant to fight the evil in our world through the love of God. So may you carry this song uh, to whatever nations you come across this week. If it's just here in Shoreline, Everett, the people that you see throughout the week, may you carry this song to those people, the song of God's love, his glory being reflected to the world. May you reflect God's glory to the nations this week.